like you to do there's a box in the back and it's behind the soundboard there and each one of these now we're I got these from Pastor Drew uh, each packet is about six bucks if you wanted one and you don't have six bucks just take it uh, if you have six bucks Sunday just put it in the agape box it's no big deal uh, but I want to make sure that you have these and if you ever go out to eat I would like you to take one of these and I want you to double your tip. I used to be a waiter. And you ever seen those folded over $20 bills that are actually tracks? Have you guys seen those? Oh, you, you walk up to the table after they've left and you see this thing that looks like a folded over $20 bill. And you walk up, you go, score, you know, you got a big tip and it's a track. Now, how do you think a waiter or waitress feels with getting no money and getting this track that looks like a $20 bill? They learn to hate Christians. I was a Christian when I got it. But they learn to hate Christians coming in because they think they're low tippers and they leave them tracks or they're no tippers at all. And so what you should do, at least if you don't double it, at least make it 20%. So they think, okay, well, they were good and then leave them a track. Put the money inside the track and leave the track on the table and they will get it and they're going to be more apt to read it if you give it to them. Now, that's one way you can do it. If you go somewhere, if you go to a waiting room in a hospital, the Jehovah Witnesses are always going there and they're dropping off their awake magazines and stuff like that. And I used to take care of the interior plants in Sharp Hospital and I'd go to every single waiting area and every one of those would have a awake magazine in it and I'd grab it and I'd wipe up the water and I'd throw it in the trash, you know. But it would be good if you ever go to a place like that, leave one of these. You don't have to actually go up to somebody and say, you want to take the good person test? Unless you want to. If you think you can do it, go ahead. Or if you want to read through it with somebody. Or if you see somebody on the side of the road or, you know, in the store and you're carrying one around in your pocket, just hand it to them. Just say, here, this is for you. And most people, especially if they're not um, Anglo, because the United States, and I know we're changing as far as our race um, component is concerned, usually if somebody perceives you to be a Native American, I'm not talking about Indian American, I'm talking about just somebody who was born in the United States, you speak like you've been here all your life, and you give it to somebody who maybe is not uh, in the United States because they were born here. Just give them one. Just hand it, and they usually receive it. When I was, I think I told you, in Cambodia, I passed tracks out in Cambodia, they were eager to take what I had and I just handed it to them and they don't they thank you you know so much and and that's what we can do we can be a witness now our name is not on here Calvary Chapel Lakeside so don't think they're going to come and find you if you give them a track or something like that you just pass it out also Drew said that in Parkway Plaza they're giving them a hard time about being in there and they pass out tracks and they have to let them in there because they let the Jehovah Witnesses in there but they went down to Plaza Bonita and they handed out 1500 of these last week you know so um, and he's got 150,000 in case you're interested if you want a whole case we can get you a whole case if you want to get into that so read it over see what it is be familiar with it and be able to answer questions about it if somebody hasn't yeah Kim it it just it's a very small condensed book 
and it tells a story usually. Greg Laurie, when he first got saved, he was an artist. Now, you know who Greg Laurie is, right? And he made up uh, of this little cartoon of Ben Born Again, is what they called him. And it looks similar to this. And Pastor Chuck saw that he could do that, and so he had to make up this track. And I, I want to say they made hundreds of thousands of them, and they passed them out. And it was very effective during the Jesus People movement to pass them out. Now, there are tracks. These are just called tracks because there's tracks that you follow. You go from one track to the next going through. <clears throat> but it, there are some that aren't so good. Uh, Chick Track has both good ones and bad ones. Chick Track will have some like, you're going to hell. What do you think about that? You know, and you read it. <laughs> Whoa, are there, there is one specific one, if I remember correctly, about hell. And people are suffering and dying. And you can't preach the gospel, the uh, gospel without preaching the cross. And I get that. But the way that they did it, it was like, Whoa, let's burn this thing before, you know, it starts to spread a virus or something. But and there are some that are good. And we use some of those in Cambodia. Uh, and they are translated. And so you have to be careful. If you want to start looking for tracks, you have to be careful which ones you get. Uh, but this one, it's a good one. It's just the good person test. Are you a good person? And as you read through it, just answer the questions they're answering. They're uh, asking themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which one's bigger? Yeah, I love those ones. That's yeah. Now that just goes with witnessing so much, and you you have to know the spiel. You know, you can't just which one's bigger. Now what do I do? You know, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so you want to make sure you know how to uh, to witness to somebody. And once people start getting saved, you just go wow, and you, you kind of get filled with the spirit, and you go, oh man, this is like great, I got to do some more of this, and w- when you start doing it, you get butterflies, you get nervous, your hand shakes a little bit, and you stumble over your words, and what if I don't have the right words, and then you walk away, oh, stupid, why did I say that, and you know, and, and you just got to do it, you know, you just got to get into doing it a little bit, and if you do, and by the way, we're going to try to leave some of these in the back in the foyer, uh, just so people can pick them up and take them. Yeah, Steve. The daily bread uh, actually comes in the, in the order. They're filled with little teeny tracks, but not specifically for, for somebody to define God, but they're almost by subject, you know, yeah. prayer and things like that. Have you got a read on those? Are- we have a stack of them. I think they're at home. I don't know if we brought them down here, <clears throat> but they deal with different subjects. They deal with grief they deal with muslims they deal with um you name it fill in the subject marriage divorce adultery uh drunkenness all these different subjects so the daily bread every month when they send you one they will give you a little flyer like that and it's uh dahan that writes most of those i think right so other questions yeah they're good uh i've gone through several of them uh, just to bone up on what they think about a particular subject. And you have to flip through a hundred of them before you get to the one you want. But, uh, yeah, and sometimes they repeat with a little bit different angle. 
And so they're always good. And if, so if you get the daily bread and you get those things in there, and you will grow the daily bread. If you read that and you also take that little track that's in there and you read that, you will eventually, if, if you go through, you know, in any one year, you'll go through 12. But if you do it over several years, you're going to be up to snuff on several subjects and it will be good to be a witness. And that's part of apologetics. You have to know what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, you can't give a reason for the hope that lies within with gentleness and respect. It tends to just be an argument. And so we don't want to have arguments going on. Any other questions? Everybody got an outline. Spiritual warfare? Good. Who here has not experienced spiritual warfare? Okay, good. We're on the same page. If you've never been exposed to it, and it is of different degrees for everybody, this hopefully will give you an outline. This may seem exhaustive, but it is not exhaustive at all. Uh, So here are the questions I laid out that will be answered. What is spiritual warfare? Who are the participants? Who is the enemy? What is the cause of the battle? (coughs) Excuse me. What is at stake? How do we know when we are involved in a conflict? And that means spiritual battle conflict. And how is the battle fought? Now, what I'm going to do, I've given you the scripture references on this, and I'm just going to read them. There are so many scriptures that I have down here. I'm going to read through probably half of them. I'm not going to ask you to turn there because all I'll be doing is reading uh, tonight and waiting for you to turn to them. But we want to make sure that when we address spiritual warfare that I don't make things up. This is one area that is misused and abused and it's sensationalized. Like, for instance, have you guys ever heard the name Rebecca Brown? C.I. Iverson or I.C. Iverson. Have you ever heard of him? There are people that write these books, and there are several other authors, and they deal with spiritual warfare. And they have a tendency to be even more charismatic than the average charismatic. They have a tendency to be charismaniacs. Charismatic or charismata means you believe in the gifts. In other words, if somebody has the gift of discernment, they would come up to you if they're of this vein or this bent. They'd come up to you and maybe you had a problem and they'd say, well, Eric, you have a demon of baldness and we want to pray for that demon of baldness and we're going to cast out that demon of baldness. And somebody else may... And these are actual things that people have said. Um, Another one is the uh, spirit of bad breath. You have the spirit of bad breath, and we need to cast it out of you. It's probably just gingivitis, and you need to see a dentist. It's not a demon that is causing this kind of problem. Then there is the question, and I'm going to answer this right up front, this idea that you're going to be attacked by Satan or even indwelt as a believer. I completely reject that doctrine. That doctrine is not solid. I have gone through, uh, when I was at La Mesa, with Pastor Tom Clingforth, an exhaustive study of can a Christian be, and they use the term demonized, not demon-possessed. 
And this guy was trying to make a biblical case for it, and it was woefully inadequate. He would say things like King Saul. Remember King Saul, that he was troubled when David was coming up through the ranks, but he was fleeing for his life. Uh, Right afterwards, he was fleeing for his life from Saul. But Saul would be tormented, and then the harp would be played, and the demon would leave him. In other words, he'd come in, and he'd be oppressed by this demon, not... Um, possessed but oppressed and the demon would leave once some praise music was being played okay <clears throat> then also um, who is the apostle that had a thorn in the flesh the apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh was that a physical ailment or was that a demon What was he given? There's a specific phrase. That's true. But before that, he, was, he said, there was sent to me a... Uh, no, well, that's used, but that's not the one I'm looking for. A messenger of Satan. Now, what does that mean? The apostle Paul was sent, no, was sent to him a messenger of Satan? Was that a demon or was that a physical ailment? Or is the answer to both of those yes? We will never know this side of eternity, but those people who are definitely on the, um, I'm going to say the far left side of being demonized would say absolutely it was a demon. Uh, And his name is C.I. Iverson or I.C. Iverson. It's been so long since I've been in his book, I can't remember which it is. But he definitely said that Paul was demonized. That what would happen is this demon would come, set up shop in his house, the house of his body, the tent of his body, and he'd be in one portion of the tent. And every once in a while, he'd come out of that one portion and wreak havoc in the house, and then he would go back into that little place. And that's how they characterize these particular demonic spirits. Now... uh, Peretti, Frank Peretti, you guys know who that is? Frank Peretti, he wrote This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness, and they were actually excellent books. You'd read, I could not put those books down. But it deals with one description of a demon that's coming down towards the church door, and as he came down lightning speed towards the front of the church doors, and he was hovering off the ground with his yellow sulfurous breath and his yellow orbs that were in his teeth and the talons coming off of the finger. I better stop, there's kids in here. But <laughs> that, that's how the book goes, and you're just going, whoa, no way. And then you see this angel come down and with flash of light just boom takes care of the demon and you see this spiritual warfare going on and if they ever made a real good movie like a steven spielberg movie out of that oh, it, just, it would be a blockbuster but anyhow there there is this spiritual battle that's going on around us even right now i can pretty much guarantee you there are angelic beings in this room or around the church uh, 10,000 guardians in Christ, how many do you have that watch over you? Maybe there's one that could easily watch over all of us, but they are here. They are part of our existence. We cannot perceive them. God has not given us the ability. Yes, Christian? Yes. 
they know exactly what's going on if they are here. Now, angels are not omnipresent. They are not like God. They are like us as far as an individual, a personality. Now, that makeup, we don't know what it's like, but we do know there is a battle. We do know that Michael the archangel in the book of Daniel was fighting the prince of Persia, which they made a movie after, you know, the prince of Persia. Persia. But they battle, and it took, what, 20, 23 days? 21 days for the battle to finish. Now, I don't know about you, how long can you fight for? And he was fighting for 21 days, if that's what it says. That's a long time, and I can't imagine what the battle would be like. And so there is a spiritual battle going on. It's going on all the time. If we were able to see it, like, for instance, it was, um, wasn't it Elijah that said, look up on the hill, and Lord opened his eyes that he might see, and he saw the chariots that were lining the hill that were fighting on their side. And those chariots were angelic hosts. And there are stories also in World War II. I can go into that at some other time, but there are stories in World War II of things being manifested that the Lord was actually in the midst of the battles and it turned out that nobody could explain what exactly happened, that there was some type of uh, host that was showing up as far as the Germans being discouraged and what to do. So anyhow, there is some warfare going on. All of us have experienced it to some degree. If you were to read a couple of books in the Old Testament, I would take you to two books. I would say read the book of Job because in that particular book, God seems to set it up that Job was going to be tormented by demons and specifically Satan. And you read that and you just go, I don't get it. Why? And even Job asked, why? And God says, stand up. I'm going to talk to you and give you a lesson. Were you there when I created the foundations of the earth? And he didn't even answer the question. He just gave him a lecture. He didn't give him the insight. But Job never wavered in his faith. And then the other book I'd take you to is the book of Nehemiah. Because in the book of Nehemiah, there was a job to be done by Nehemiah, the bear to Xerxes, the king. And when he went there, he was opposed. Can you name the guys who opposed him? Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat and Tobiah. And that is a picture of the spiritual battle that is going on and how uh, the enemy will attempt to discourage you. And if you've been in any type of ministry service, they will happen on a semi-regular basis. And Patty and I, over the years, you know, we've turned to each other and we go... Duh, it's a spiritual battle we're in here. And we recognize that, you know, like after we've been in it for a few weeks, it's, well, maybe we should pray that there would be some relief on this. And the relief would always come. So um, it doesn't make it any easier, but it helps you if you understand what's going on. Because sometimes God allows these things and even purposes them for our benefit, just like in Job, we have benefited. Everybody who has ever read the book of Job has benefited from what he has gone through. And I'm sure that's why Job went through it. And we will benefit the same. And other times, it's that we haven't been doing our due diligence. We haven't been praying. We haven't been putting on our, you guys know the armaments of uh, warfare, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and girding the loins, right? All of those things. And what is the last one? Sword of the Spirit. We have to have the sword of the Spirit. 
So we are in warfare. Now, I'm going to zip through this. So buckle your seatbelt. What is spiritual warfare? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And a lot of these you guys will be familiar with. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you read that in the King James, it's a little bit clearer. Against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in the heavenly realms. There seems to be a hierarchy that there is really bad demons and not so bad demons and a little bit lesser demons if you read the screw tape letters by um, c.s lewis he does an excellent job in talking about uncle screw tape and his nephew the, the demon and he's instructing this uh, maybe nephew or lesser demon how to conduct spiritual warfare and of course i won't tell you what happens at the end of the book but it, it's going on, and so there seems to be this hierarchy. Just like there are archangels on the demonic side, there are on the fallen angel side, there are also, appears to be from Scripture, a hierarchy. Um, spiritual warfare may also be described as a personal or corporate, meaning the church, battle against the flesh, the world, and Satan. And with the flesh, Satan can prompt you in your flesh to fall. Satan can prompt people of the world to test you. Even though it comes from the world, Satan can be prompting them. And then it can be Satan himself. Now, do I believe that it is actually Satan himself? It's probably a demon. Satan has more important things to do. Uh, kind of like the world leaders stuff. He's probably involved in that. I don't think he considers me a threat very much. Or you. Uh, so he sends probably the lesser demons. Uh, to do that and that is again based on Ephesians chapter 6 also 1st John two sixteen. for everything in the world the cravings of sinful man the lust of his eyes the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the father but from the world the world and its desires pass away but the man who does the will of God lives forever so it describes and I will bring this up again later it describes who the battle is against as far as in our own lives it's the lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life those things will trip us up so you have Satan, you have the world, and you have the flesh. And again, I told you, I will bring that up again. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him for what I have forgiven. If there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So the enemy is always scheming how he can trip everybody up. Now, I'm going to give you an example of how this happens, like in the church, corporately. I will say something, and someone will disagree. I will ask for something to be done, and somebody will be offended. And they allow their flesh to succumb to it. And when they succumb to it, the first thing that they do... What did I have you guys do on Sunday that was unique? Right? That's what happens. It immediately goes to that mode and they look for something to vocalize their discontent. That's how it spreads. And the enemy is great about doing that. 
because our flesh is so quick. When we feel offended, when we feel we don't get something that we want, the book of James says that. Why are there fights and quarrels among you? Because you don't get what you want. And so if you fly off the hand, and by the way, I'm not saying this at you guys. I'm saying this with you guys because I do the same thing. I, and as soon as I catch myself, I slap myself and I say, did we turn back on the tape? Okay. <clears throat> I slap myself and I say, what on earth am I doing? Why am I getting involved in this? And I, I close it up. Now, Patty, you can correct me on this. Um, haven't I told you that I will never complain about anything you do? Have I told you that? Do I do that? No. Well, see, that's my goal. For the most part, do I do that? Oh, oh, I thought you were saying, no, you don't do that very well. <laughs> okay, and, uh, now, could I complain? No, I can't because there's nothing that she does wrong. <laughs> you know, at, at some off moment, I'm sure that I could complain, but I just I have told her for years, I am not going to complain about anything. And now when we first got married, she goes, go ahead, tell me. I, nope, I'm not going to do it. No, just go ahead. Nope. I'm not, I'm not going to engage, right? Because then it just kind of blows up. And so if I can't die to myself in that, how can I die to myself in anything else? And so this idea about complaining, Satan, will, that's like his, one of his number one assets is to tickle your flesh to where you just want to complain and argue and we just get into it because we have been violated in some way. And then we take a little bit more righteous stand. Well, somebody else has been violated that way and I'm standing up for them. And, you know, that's how it goes. And so I want you guys to be aware of that. It's the flesh that just, it cannot be bargained with. You have to consider it crucified. Who are the participants? Number one, Christians. And there are several references in Scripture to this. Philippians 2.25, but I think it is necessary to send you back to, Pap, to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And that means it, it is implied here that he's fighting a battle, and he's not fighting against flesh and blood. Uh, he is fighting the spiritual battle. 1 Timothy 1.18, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that you, by following them, you may fight the good fight. So again, we are in a battle. First Timothy six twelve, fight the good fight of faith. And second Timothy two three, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we are to consider ourselves in the Lord's army. We are to get this mindset. If you've been in the military, you know what it is. If you've been in the military and you disobey a commanding officer's orders, what happens to you? You could be court-martialed. You could be thrown into jail. I mean, you could be booted out of the military, whatever it is. You're not going to be booted out of Christianity if you don't follow what the Lord says. Uh, He's a little bit more full of grace than that, but he wants to make us aware we are in a battle. And if we sit down in the battle, what's going to happen to us? We're going to be a casualty. And so many people are casualties. And they don't have to be. It's like stand up and fight. Just do that. Yeah, as a believer, just stand up and wage the battle. Secondly, Satan is in the battle. 
I've already read to you Ephesians 6, 12, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. <clears throat> Recently, a woman uh, was mauled to death because she didn't follow protocol in going in to take care of a tiger. And she was killed because of it. Now, I don't know if you've seen a tiger attack somebody. Uh, I saw a video of... Uh, this guy on an elephant, and it was in India, and there was tall grass, and the elephant was commanded to just stay there, and this Bengal tiger, you can't even see him in the grass, comes out of the grass and makes it all the way up to the head of the elephant, and then the video cuts off. I don't know what happens to the guy on the elephant, but that's what Satan is like. He is just waiting to pounce on you, on me, and we have to be aware that he is in it for keeps, which he's not going to keep it. Thirdly, angels. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. I already made this reference here to Michael. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I've come in response to them, but the prince of Persia resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came and helped me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So apparently it's Gabriel and Michael. They're both battling here. It took two archangels to overcome Satan. So how powerful is Satan? And you know, we think in the charismatic community, we have this idea as Christians, I rebuke you, Satan, and like he's going to go away. You know, these are two archangels here. It's better to say, the Lord rebuke you, you know, let the Lord take care of it. He's the one, and he's the one that commands angels. He's the one that can set them right or wrong to put them down or raise them up. And so we don't have that power. And some people would argue with me and say, well, but God lives in you, and he has given you that power for the pulling down of strongholds. By the way, that's in reference to prayer. That isn't in reference to dealing with Satan directly. Okay, so I, I don't even want to talk to the guy. I hardly reference him except as a defanged tiger because the worst he can do is gum you to death, you know, that type of thing. So we want to make sure that if there is a battle going on, the Lord is handling the battle. We ask the Lord to intercede for us because he's the one that gets the victory. We aren't the ones that get the victory by the words that we say. We don't speak into existence things. It is God who does that, okay? Now, I don't want to be too antagonistic towards those who are on that side. I just believe it's really bad doctrine and it's really harmful to the individual Christians. God is also involved in the battle. Joshua 23, verse 10. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So you might be out there swinging your sword. You know, it might as well be a two-inch sword because the Lord is the one who actually fights for us. He fights for the fatherless in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 10. I don't think I put that specifically down on your outline, but that's what it refers to. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of, your, of the fatherless, for their defender is strong, and he will take up their case against you. He also fights for the widows. Psalm 68, verse 5, the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He fights for the upright. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithless one, or faithful ones. 
Fifth, the world is involved in this spiritual battle. Whether they know it or not, they are being used. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If, it, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. As believers, if we share our faith, we are going to come under attack. If we, hand, if we hold up the morals and standards and ethical behaviors that God talks about in his word, we are going to get some pushback. Pushback to the point of even being violent. That's where the left goes with that. That's why you don't have those people who are on the right as far as religiously are concerned um, and they're trying to make it appear to be this but you don't see Christians marching in the streets with guns and say we'll kill you if you do this you know and breaking things Christians don't do that those who profess to be Christians that do that are just I want to say crazy but they're just wrong uh, if you remember years back, the Reverend Dorman Owens and Santee blowing up abortion clinics. The guy was just wrong, just stupid. Tr- would try to use the argument if you had a bridge with children in the middle of it and you saw Nazis coming to kill the kids, would you kill them first? And he would use that for justification of, and that's you know, killing abortion doctors, that type of thing. It's just nuts. You break the commandment, thou shalt not murder if you do something like that. And so you want to make sure you don't follow that line of reasoning. But the world will hate us if we follow Christ. And that is a battle in and of itself. The flesh or the sinful nature, number six there. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us, by the way, this is the New Living Translation. I thought it was uh, better said here. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. The two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. In other words, you have this battle on the inside that takes place. And Paul talks about this. We'll probably get to it in Romans chapter 7. The good I want to do is not the good that I do. And I battle with myself on the inside. What should I do? The flesh or the sinful nature, and that's what this is called. Oh, I just read that to you. Uh, Seven, our own spirit is involved in this battle. And that is Romans chapter 7. That's the next one. It says in verses 14 through 24, For we know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Do you see this guy just beating his head against the wall? I don't want to do that, but he ends up doing it. And so this conflict, our spirits are in the battle because we know the good we want to do, but our flesh rises up and says, you will not. Just, just try not eating for a week. What do you think your flesh is going to do? Your flesh is going to cause you pain, so you want to eat. And your spirit has to say, I will not. 
right? Just try it. Just give it a shot. And just say it's fasting. You will come under such spiritual attack. From the outside, Satan will say, what do you think you're doing? Do you think you mean spiritual or something here? I don't think so. Didn't you tell somebody you're doing that? Doesn't your Bible say you're not supposed to tell anybody if you're fasting? And you told somebody. You told your spouse, didn't you? Oh, you little wimpy Christian. Don't even call yourself a Christian. And then the flesh starts going, eat. You have to eat something. And your spirit's saying, no, I want to do this for the Lord. I want to dedicate it to him. And the world goes, what on earth are you fasting for? Is there really even a God? Do you think he's going to hear your prayers? I mean, it will come from every angle if you do something like this. And what keeps you on the right path? Your faith. If you have a strong faith, you know exactly what Scripture says. The world hates you. Satan doesn't want you to succeed. And your flesh wants to bury you. Your flesh wants to command everything that you do. And so this battle is real, and we need to be aware of it. I didn't even finish that whole section there. It just goes on and on. You can tell that Paul is perplexed, and he's taken back by it. What is the cause of the battle? Well, of course we know that it is the fall. We know that if Adam and Eve hadn't fallen, we wouldn't be in the spiritual battle. But we know that's not the case. So where does the battle land? The battle lands in the mind. That's where it begins. Now, have you ever caught yourself thinking something you shouldn't? Probably today, right? And you go, what am I thinking about that for? I shouldn't be thinking about that, especially when you're driving. What are you thinking when you're driving and people aren't driving so well? Um, um, what's his name? Stephen Sutton over in uh, Cambodia. He is the expatriate, the one who left the United States, lived in Massachusetts, traveled across the United States, went to Bible college, moved to Cambodia, which he first thought it was going to be Colombia, but the Lord changed the letter in there, so now it's Cambodia, and he married a woman over there, and he was telling me how uh, he was writing his moto, and he's just riding along, and all of a sudden this guy cuts right in front of him to make a left turn right in front of him. And you see this all the time. But the guy was drunk. And he ended up having a wreck and having some injuries. And Stephen was expressing how dissatisfied he was, you know, and how, why is it just happening like this? And he, you could tell he was starting to get into the flesh a little bit, but he just he kind of backed away. And he was having thoughts like, I'm sure. You idiot. What do you think you're doing? Drinking and driving. If you see somebody drinking and driving, what do you say? Oh, look at that guy. He needs prayer. <laughs> you don't say that. You get off the road. 911. You're calling. You know, you're trying to get the guy off the road. You're calling them names as they're going down the road. Somebody gets into your lane. Somebody. You, you, who has not been guilty of ever texting in their car while driving? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, the rest of us are complete sinners <clears throat> because we have done that at some point just because something's been important. You guys are... Ah! You have a dumb phone then. I, I see the halo. <laughs> like, man, that, this guy is, he's good. You know, that, I love that, Jeffrey. You just keep that up. But this idea most people have, and we know the law, we know distracted driving causes problems, but the flesh just says, go ahead. 
it. Do it. You know, it's kind of like uh, Lord of the Rings. Precious. You know, just, just go ahead and do it. And it's a battle. So it, is the fl- it, it takes place in the mind. Uh, it says in, I'm not going to read the whole thing, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. The sinful mind is the flesh. Now, there is this term called the flesh or the sinful nature that we all have. The, they call it the flesh because our bodies are not going to survive. They are considered sinful by God. They are part of the fall. That's why he has to give us new ones. But there's also the sinful nature which dwells inside. And these terms are interchangeable. If you say sinful nature, it's referring to the flesh. If you refer to the flesh, you're referring to the sinful nature. And it has to do with our desires. And our desires are contrary. Our fleshly desires are contrary to God's desires. And so those two are always in conflict, and that's where the battle begins. And we're supposed to take every thought captive. And if we filter it through God's word, it should come out the other side just as it should, being destroyed, all the fleshly thoughts. Uh, also, Satan causes this battle, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. I already read this to you, that Satan, he, he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the, word, uh, the world, First John chapter 2, verse 16, this is number three under what cause, what is the cause of the battle? For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, some of these verses I'm going to repeat, and I'm doing this by design so that you guys kind of get it instilled in your mind. This is what it's about. Uh, What is at stake? Well, primarily, it's the salvation of souls. There is an effort to keep from making us disciples, but there is also an effort to keep from making us disciples believers Uh, satan he has this ability to blind those in the world to the truth of god Uh, and specifically the jews are blinded because they rejected the messiah and as a whole as a people they cannot see jesus christ as the messiah now that's going to change and they're going to be his biggest advocates and during the tribulation period Every Jew will be saved. I believe scripture teaches that. So God is going to redeem that, so to speak. But because of their disobedience, just like in the wilderness, there was a curse that they were under. They did not enter the promised land. They are also under a curse. They have been rejected and the gospel has gone to the Gentiles because the Jews rejected the Messiah. And they have been blinded until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled according to scripture. And so, it, not that it, it, some Jews can't be reached because there are Messianic Jews, but as a whole, the people has been set to the side because salvation is at stake and because the effort in making disciples, we know that this battle is becoming personal and it can be with our own family members. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy if you are, or for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And there are people who hear the word of God who never come to salvation. We know that from the parable of the sower of the seed, the kingdom parables. And so this battle is always raging. When you give somebody the word of God, if you give somebody this tract and they are of the world, their first reaction may be to read it But more than likely, their first reaction is going to be to, yes, that's going to be it. That's what they're going to do. If we go over to the skate park over there, 
and you hand these out, you will have to go back in a couple of hours and pick up the ones on the ground. Because people will just say, oh, what? oh this is like Christianity stuff, man. And then there will be somebody there, well, wait, let me see that. And they'll want to pick it up. But there will be several that will just toss it away. And so if you do that, you have to pray before you go over there that Satan would be removed. His influence would be removed. That the Lord would do that. That You can't go in there with your little teeny sword and say, I'm going to beat up Satan. You know, you can't do that. It's the Lord that takes care of it. Also, what's at stake as far as the spiritual battle is concerned? Your faith can be shipwrecked. Now, I have seen this happen. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have so shipwrecked their faith. What are the two things that you need to hold on to to keep from shipwrecking your faith? It's in the verse. It's right there. A good conscience. And what else? Your faith. And in order to keep from shipwrecking it, you have to hold on to it. You can't just let it go. <clears throat> For me, now, I've been a Christian long enough to where I don't have to worry about some new doctrine coming along, some practice coming along. I've seen quite a bit and read about quite a bit and listened to quite a few testimonies about what can go wrong as far as doctrine is concerned. And all through church history, there have been bad doctrines which have actually shipwrecked the faith of people who are there. If I don't understand something, I know I just don't have enough information. And God can provide me that information if he chooses to do so. But I'm not going to throw away my faith because of the unknown. Because there's so much that I do know that is correct. I do know that God is faithful. I do know that God is prophetic in his word. I do know that what he speaks about things is if they uh, exist when they actually don't. I know that he has been faithful throughout history. All of these things, I can hold on to that. So those things that come along that I'm not sure about, I, okay, I'm not sure about it. I don't have enough information. And then a clear conscience, if you violate your conscience often enough, you will end up falling away from the faith. And you don't want to do that. At least that's what it says here. You want to keep a clear conscience. Now, does that mean that nobody ever sins? No. It, if, it's, if you sin, be quick to run back to God. Be quick to say, Lord, I am such a blow it, and you know I need your grace and I need your mercy. And renew that relationship right away. A righteous man will fall seven times, and seven times he'll get right back up. How is the battle fought? What strategy or goal... Uh, what is the goal of this conflict? <coughs> Excuse me. God gains the victory and not us. I've already said this several times. Psalm 44, verse 6, I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give victory, or you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. I think it was on the trip. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. Was it Isaiah 31 that dealt with uh, some men trusted chariots? Yeah, don't trust in your wealth. Don't trust in your abilities. Don't trust in your intellect. You're supposed to trust in the Lord, and he is the one that will bring the ultimate victory for you. Um, 
Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. There are so many verses how the Lord is the one that fights the battle and he's the one that gets the victory. Uh, Secondly, when victory is achieved, it is by faith. 1 John 5, verse 3. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So it is by faith that we overcome the drawbacks, the bad news of this life, the judgment which is to come. Thirdly, the war has already been won. Um, It says in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 2, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them, by the cross. And so it's by the cross that he has the victory. Number four, triumphing, not triumphing, triumphing. Four, uh, who are the opposing forces? I've already given you this. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All three of these are going to come after us. That's why we're told not to love um, or give into the flesh, not to love the world, and resist the devil. Yes. We are to reckon it dead. We are to crucify it. We are to, Paul says, I buffet my body. Right? Uh, Yeah. Nothing. There is nothing redeemable about your flesh. Nothing. I mean, it's like you might have a little... As a kid, did you ever get one of those cedar boxes from Yosemite or some park, right? And what'd you put in it? Special things, you know? <laughs> you put special things inside of that and had a little lock, you know, on it. And it's my special stuff. There is nothing special about your flesh. You do not keep a single thing from your flesh or the fleshly nature or the sinful nature. Nothing. You cannot perfect it. Galatians talk about that. Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? No, you're not. And we're to pick up our cross daily. What does that mean? Crucify the flesh every single day. The problem is when we're crucified with Christ, we want to pull out the stakes. And, you know, it's kind of like um, Gene Wilder in Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein. It's alive! And we allow it to resurrect, you know, at a particular time. And God says, no, kill it, crucify it. And there's nothing good. Okay, I'm done with that one. I beat a dead horse. Okay. Um, <clears throat> how do we know when we are involved in a conflict? Well, here's a sure sign. I talked about this earlier. James chapter 4, 1 through 7. What causes fights and quarrels among you? This isn't the spiritual coming at you. This is you amongst other people or we all together. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And where do those desires originate from? There's three places. The world and Satan. Have you, now I've actually experienced this a couple of times where you get a thought in your head 
you want that. Oh, go ahead. Just go ahead. It's okay. Oh, nobody's going to see. It's all right. Just go ahead. That can be Satan, right? Your flesh, on the other hand, like I the other day. Now, this is not the worst. This is one of the least of my sins, right? <laughs> Patty, Patty bought some Oreo cookies. And I love Oreo cookies. <laughs> and I go, she didn't. And my flesh goes, she did. <laughs> and so I go into the cabinet, you know, okay, two. I'm going to get two. I get two. I seal it up. I walk away. My flesh goes, those were so good. You can have two more. And I had a total of like eight or ten, you know, by the time I was done. And I could just feel my flesh going, oh, it's, it's oh, so tasty and the milk and oh. And I just had to have it. And I did. I ate like eight or ten of them or something like that. And so that originates with my flesh but the world can also originate that with that whether on your smartphone or the television or ads you see something and you go i want that i I want that you know that can be mine if i just work hard enough or spend on the credit card or whatever i want to do and then satan of course and this is a part you can actually sometimes not really hear him but you get this impression like go ahead this is going to be good you can ask for forgiveness later, you know, and Satan will do that. He will tempt you. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet. And you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so we are called at the end of this to resist the devil and he will flee from us if we submit ourselves to God first. And that's, again, Andrew Murray's book, Absolute Submission. Is that it? Absolute Submission? Surrender. Surrender. Thank you. Absolute Surrender. Uh, Let's see. Focus on the physical outward oppression. There, There is this idea that Satan will come from the outside and actually physically oppress us. And that's the Apostle Paul may, uh, may be manifested as a physical or mental ailment, oppression with the Apostle Paul. Uh, that's talked about in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelation, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. You notice he doesn't say to take him away, uh, but to take it away from me and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore there are going to be times where God says no you need this spiritual attack to keep you humble and it's going to be to your benefit also Saul who I mentioned earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 23 whenever the spirit from God came upon Saul David would take his harp and play then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him and so we can be oppressed from the outside by an evil spirit. Now, does that mean every time you get sick or tormented, you say, I know you're in here somewhere. Is that what you do? No, it's the Lord. Say, Lord, can I get some relief? And if it's the Lord's will, you get relief. And it just leaves, just goes away. And that's how it works. You, you have no 
physical armament in which to wage this battle against an outward, oppressive, demonic host or whoever he is. It is only God that can take care of it. It is only by prayer that you can be successful in doing this. Secondly, maybe manifested as a flaming arrow. Uh, this is with the spiritual armor. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. In addition to all these, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You can do a study on this and what a flaming arrow does. A flaming arrow, not only does it come and it pierce you, but it burns you after that. There's a lasting effect. And so the enemy is taken aim. And you have to remember, it, it may not be just a temporary thing. It can be a lasting thing, and it will leave a scar. What do you think a flaming arrow is going to do with you, even if it's in the leg? It's going to leave a nasty scar, and you're going to tr- have to try to keep from having the flame spread. You know, if the flame spread over your body, you're going to be really damaged by that. And so you have to take up your shield of faith. Like I said, my faith, at least at this point, it is secure, I believe. I don't want to give myself too much credit because I could fall under any circumstances, but the Lord is the one who sustains me. But my faith, I believe, is to some degree secure, and those things which might shake it, I rely on those things I am sure about for those things I do not understand. I don't abandon my faith because there are these little issues that I cannot comprehend. It's all right. And God says, just trust me, right? He doesn't give me all the answers. That's what he's telling you as well. Just trust him. Yes. I missed him. Number one, maybe manifested as a physical or mental ailment. Okay, where'd I go? I'm lacking. Begins and ends with a thought. Yes. Is that the only one I didn't give you? Next one. Physical ailment. That one? Used to prevent you from ministering to others. Are we up to date? Okay. Physical or mental ailment. Oppression. And I use Paul. And there's Saul. Secondly, number two, may be manifested as a flaming arrow. Now, you don't see the arrow But God is using a metaphor here to get you to understand that there can be some real damage. And if your faith is secure, and specifically what this means is, if you know enough about the Lord to trust him, which means you've been in the word because that's the only way you can come to the special revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is. You cannot get to the special revelation of Jesus Christ without the word. If you know the word, you you have tremendous faith if you believe it, if you trust it. So you have the knowledge mixed with your will that you are willingly given over to this knowledge. That is your faith. You are automatically holding up your shield. And when the enemy says, what about aliens? 
start, you know. How do you explain that, huh? The world is all the time trying to say, there was life on Mars. How did it get there? Obviously, your religion is wrong. I don't care if there are aliens. It doesn't bother me at all. It just means God has a plan for them and he hasn't told me. He hasn't discussed with me what it was. Like he should tell me, you know, so I can be fully informed on this. Or what if there is no life after death? That guy who, where did I talk about it? Uh, The guy who um, recently died. What's that? No. Another guy who died for two whole minutes. And he came back to life. And he said, there is no tunnel. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no heaven and people waiting there for me. He goes, there was just nothing. It was just darkness. And so all these people who have these near-death experiences, there's the light. Go to the light. He said, there's none of that. So some people with a weak faith would say, well, he didn't see heaven. Well, what? how come? Well, what? Isn't there really a heaven? Or uh, what's going on? Is there a hell then? What? Well, what's it? See, some people would go, well, he experienced it. It must be true. But my faith, it's just like, tink. It just, it flies right off. It's like, come on, give me a break. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Some guy comes back and you're going to trust him. You're not going to trust God. And that guy is not a reliable source. But the media puts it out there like, see? You Christians have been wrong all this time. There's a guy that came back and died and said there's nothing. What's with that? Come on. That's it. Where there's darkness. He should have looked up, right? His tunnel was really narrow. And it was a little pinpoint that was up there. Okay. Number three. May be manifested by unanswered prayer. And this is where Daniel, I already talked about this. The prayer that Daniel laid out to God took 21 days to be answered. There are prayers that I have asked, and I I actually went through some of them. I've been keeping a journal, a prayer journal. And I've gone back and I've looked at prayers that God has not answered since I've been keeping the prayer journal. And I am still asking. I'm going, God, here I am again. Pretty soon, I hope he gets tired of me asking. He goes, okay, fine. And he's going to answer my prayer. But there are some that have not been answered. And it could be because of spiritual warfare. It could be because God is just saying, nope, ain't happening. And I, my faith is such where I say, okay, God, not your will, my will, but your will be done. And that's how God wants us to handle it. But there can be an interruption where the enemy is stopping the answer to prayer. Like in Job, his kids died. His cattle was wiped out. You think he was praying for God, to God for some relief? Yeah. Did it come? No. Did it come by an enemy? Yes, it did. So those things that happened, you know, you, you, they're out of our control. We just have to trust God in the midst of it. Going on. Oh, five minutes. How was the battle fought? Our weapons and the battleground. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So again, it's in the mind. It's in the word. You have those things and you stand up and you're able to make arguments to pull down the strongholds of the enemy. 
I mean, when I, I hear a good political debate and somebody is just going on ad hominem attacks on the individual and they don't have facts behind them and then somebody comes along with the facts, it's just like they smear them. And I love a good debate like that where they just smear the pretension of somebody who thinks that they know what's going on and they're just yelling and screaming and they raise the tenor of their voice instead of the force of their argument. That's what we need to do as believers. That's how the battle is fought. We have the word. We have the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought, and we are engaged in the battle. Number one is renew your mind. Uh, this is how we fight it. Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, jumping down to Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How often do you renew your mind? As often as you need to, certainly every day. And if you need to do it more than once a day, you do it. Uh, we want to crucify the flesh. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now for us, that would be a minute-by-minute minute thing. It's not something that we did way in the past it's something that you have to do on a consistent and regular basis thirdly we have to resist satan i've given you this scripture now at least three times stand up to what he wants if uh, he says go ahead give into the flesh you say i will not oh, looking at things with your eyes um, job said i will put no unclean thing before my eyes and then what you're supposed to do, like Joseph, what did Joseph do when he was tempted? Put on those Nikes and ran is what he did. That's what God calls us to do. The only problem is we get real slow about tying the laces. Okay, I'm getting ready to run. I'm almost there. I'm getting up. Oh, I'm so tired to get up. Oh. Yeah. Fourthly. Place your faith in Jesus. He is the one that fights the battle for us. First John chapter 5, verse 3. This is love of God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. I've already given you that one. First John chapter 2, verse 16. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. You see how these come up all the time? I'm trying to give these to you to see. It's, it's just focused in a few areas. It's not this big, grandiose thing, this spiritual warfare. Fifth, prayer. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm running out of time. Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 19. Let's see if I can give you a, um, a pull quote from that because there's a lot there. This is where Jesus cast out the demon from the boy, and it was, oh, verse 29. It says, he replied, this kind comes out only by prayer. If you have the King James, and it says by prayer and fasting, that fasting was probably added later to the text and it's probably not accurate. So demons are resisted by prayer. Uh, put on the full armor of God and I've described to you what the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, that is all in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. And that the end of it? That's the end of it. Okay, any questions about spiritual warfare? You guys are all set, right? You ready to get engaged in the battle? And remember, the Lord is the one who provides the victory. You have to be engaged by knowing the word and being involved in prayer. If you're not praying, you're probably getting beat up. You probably look, who was the one that beat Muhammad Ali? Was it George Foreman or who was it? Frazier. Frazier beat him, right? 
when that happened, you know, Muhammad Ali was spent. He was beat up. And you could be like Muhammad Ali. He should have had a Christian name. Maybe you could have lasted longer. But these false gods, you know, I don't know about these things. <clears throat> and so you have to be engaged. If you're not engaged, you are not going to benefit. The people around you are not going to benefit. The Lord is going to um, pull back a little bit and probably allow your family to be attacked. Now, he doesn't have to do that, but that's usually how it takes place. If you're not praying for your kids or your spouse or brothers and your sisters, you know, they're going to be a target just to get at you. And that's exactly what the enemy does. Goes after everyone else around you. If they can't get you, I'm going to get everybody they love, right? So that's the end of the matter. Unless there's no questions, we are going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words of insight, how the scripture is just in the same verses. It just provides so much information and we'd ask that you would help us to glean that those little tidbits those nuggets hold on to them trust in you build our faith lord build the word in us and build our desire to pray for it is a spiritual activity and we know that our flesh does not like it so help us lord to be involved in the battle to stand up for righteousness and do so relying on you for everything, for the strength and for the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.